Hi everyone, and welcome back to Queering LGBTQ. Ever since I learned what queer theory was, I haven't stopped thinking about it. There are so many ways to apply it to our daily lives. Each individual thinks that they see and understand what LGBTQ means, but I want to talk about how we can take a more queer approach to our standard labels. In the simplest terms, queer theory is a challenge. It's a challenge to the societal standards of gender and sexuality. It's a challenge to societal norms. Queer theory tells you to throw what you think you know out the window and then reanalyzes it as you bring it back in. Queer theory questions everything, and because it's theory, there's no one answer, or answers at all. It's an ongoing discussion passing through time. And now, that discussion has reached me. Today we're going to be focusing on the term gay, its origin, history, and the ways that queer theory challenges it. The word gay comes from the French spelling G-A-I that originally meant lively or joyful. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, the term didn't become synonymous with homosexual until the early 20th century and wasn't regularly used as a self-identifier until the 1960s. In his book, Male Homosexuality in West Germany, Clayton J. Wisnan explains that it's difficult to talk about same-sex love in the past when these terms were not well known. This is similar to what I talked about last week in relation to Lila J. Rupp's book. Wisnan says, quote, Although there were many men who clearly understood themselves as having a preference for sexual contact and loving relationships with other men, they did not necessarily agree on the terminology that should be employed nor on what this preference meant for their sense of self, end quote. He also goes on to explain that there has not always been a fine line between gay and straight, or homosexual and heterosexual, but that, quote, individual sexuality is in fact a fluid, fragmented, dynamic collectivity of possible sexualities, end quote. So by adding more terminology and more divides between the labels of types of sexual attraction, we are inherently trying to stop the natural fluidity of human sexual attraction as a whole, which is why this is all so tricky in the first place. The term homophile, Wissen explains, was an alternative label to homosexual. There were highly educated Germans that did not like the combination of Greek and Latin roots in homosexual. Others disliked the emphasis on the sexual component of attraction instead of the emotional. In the 1920s, Garl Gunther Heimsoth, a German physician, was the one who coined the term homophile, which, quote, picked up currency after World War II because it avoided these problems and had none of the stigma that homosexual had picked up under the Nazis. In particular, homophile became popular with the homosexual activists or those sympathetic with their cause, end quote. And because of the fact that it was popular with activists, it became a politically charged term that was used to bring their cause to the table. Those activists and groups from the 50s and 60s are now referred to as part of the homophile movement. One of the more infamous groups of the homophile movement was the Mattachine Society, started by Harry Hay. In his book, Rethinking the Gay and Lesbian Movement, Mark Stein says, quote, Mattachine's first mission statement adopted in 1951 emphasized three goals, end quote. The first was to unify the homosexual culture by, quote, addressing the isolation that many experienced and promoting a feeling of belonging among our people, end quote. The second was to educate others about homosexuality, 
and the third was to lead, which they defined as providing, quote, an example for homosexuals to follow and a dignified standard upon which the rest of society can base a more intelligent and accurate picture of the nature of homosexuality, end quote. While the first two goals seem great, that last one feels very pushy. To start, the first seven original members of the Mattachine Society were all cis white men. So with them trying to prove an example for the standard homosexual, it doesn't offer a lot of room for diversity. There is no way to standardize an entire group of people, and the idea that all gay people are the same is extremely harmful, especially to people of color's narrative. In the mid-1960s, there were photographs published of homophile movements featuring several African Americans. Stein says, quote, These were significant steps, but some may have felt like token gestures. Some may have seemed patronizing, and some may have been perceived as complicit with racism and colonialism. Even more problematic was the tendency of movement leaders to use rhetoric that compared racial and sexual struggles, but did not acknowledge the distinct struggles of gays and lesbians of color and the ongoing problems of racism, end quote. We have to consider the intersectionality of gay folks and how everyone experiences sexuality differently. We can compare racial and sexual struggles, but it's hypocritical to do so without acknowledging the racial struggles that exist inside of the movements for sexual struggles and the racial struggles that folks experience alongside their sexual struggles. It's essentially performative activism, saying, hey, look, we're including people of color, we're not racist, but then not actually doing anything about the people who are racist. As that generation started to fade out, the next generations were even more vocal about their injustices. 1969 was the year that the Stonewall Riots occurred, an event that is regarded as a turning point in gay history. While it did set a lot of activism into motion, the Stonewall Riots were not the first time that there was a riot for gay rights. Three years prior, 1966, at the height of the Civil Rights Movement, in the middle of the Vietnam War, when social and political tensions were high, the Compton's Cafeteria Riots occurred. The movie documentary, Screaming Queens, by Victor Silverman and Susan Stryker, does a wonderful job of painting a picture of this historic night. It's explained that the Compton's Cafeteria was a restaurant in San Francisco's Tenderloin District, a very poor area where many LGBTQ folks lived or worked the streets. One night, the police were called to remove a table of disruptive customers. Once they arrived, a police officer grabbed the arm of a drag queen that was seated at the table to drag her away. But instead of following along and going peacefully, she splashed her coffee in the face of the officer. With the first shot fired, everyone in the restaurant joined in. They threw silverware, cups, salt shakers, anything they could find at the police. As the officers fled the restaurant to call for backup, the patrons didn't let them get far. They started turning tables and smashing the front windows of the restaurant, taking the riot into the streets. By the end of that night, they had damaged a police car and burned down a newspaper stand. This was the first big riot in LGBTQ history that we're aware of. Unfortunately, at the time, no one was listening, so we don't even know the exact date that it happened because there were no news reports on it and no police files. But that's when it started bubbling, that drive for equality, the fight back against the injustices that had been thrown upon them. It started with that summer night in San Francisco. As we move into the 80s and 90s, we come across the AIDS epidemic, 
I could do an entire podcast series on just the AIDS epidemic and still not come close to covering it all. So I'm going to talk about it very broadly. AIDS stands for Acquired Immunodeficiency Syndrome, which is an autoimmune disease that progresses from the sexually transmitted infection HIV, or human immunodeficiency virus. The epidemic that had its first case in 1981 was largely ignored by the government, despite the CDC's acknowledgement of its severity. The president at the time, Ronald Reagan, didn't even say AIDS publicly until 1985, which by that point, over 16,000 Americans had already died without any acknowledgement or help from their president. According to LGBTQ stats by David Deschamps and Bennett Singer, quote, between 1981 and 2015, 658,507 people with AIDS died in the United States, and nearly half of those who have died of AIDS in the United States were gay and bisexual men, end quote. Because of the increased risk of HIV AIDS in gay and bisexual men, it was up to queer activists to handle the situation. Because as we know, the government didn't really help. ACT UP, the AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power, was founded in New York City in March of 1987 by Larry Kramer. Kramer gave a speech at the Lesbian and Gay Community Services Center in New York, encouraging the lesbian and gay movements to take action. In The Lesbian and Gay Movement by Craig A. Rimmerman, he states that ACT UP's founding statement declared the group as a, quote, diverse, nonpartisan group united in anger and committed to direct action to end the AIDS crisis, end quote. The organization had over 800 people attending their weekly meetings, and within a year, there were ACT UP chapters across the country. Their original goal as a group was demanding that experimental drugs for HIV AIDS be released, but broadened to demand shortened drug trials, faster approval rates, and more financially accessible treatments. They held demonstrations and protests and coined the phrase, silence equals death. With their in-your-face approach of spreading their message to not only the government and health officials, but also to the American public, ACT UP changed history and is highly regarded for its contributions to the AIDS movement. As we come into more recent times, the 90s and 2000s especially, Gay was used as a derogatory term to insult men who appeared more feminine and towards actual gay men. Moving into the 2010s, the term was used less frequently as an insult. Then, a very big turning point in American history, the federal legalization of gay or same-sex marriage occurred in 2015. In the 2020s, despite so much progress that has been made, we're starting to see some conservative backlash. Most recently in 2022, we've seen Florida's Don't Say Gay bill. The bill specifically targets kindergartners through third graders, not allowing them to learn about gender and sexuality. But New York Times says that, quote, all grades are affected by the provision requiring gender and sexuality to be discussed in ways that are age appropriate or developmentally appropriate, end quote. Because of this very outwardly homophobic legislature, people have taken to social media to express their opposition to the bill. Disney employees actually walked out in protest of the bill, which did spark a response from the company, with official statements on multiple Disney and Disney-affiliated companies' social medias, stating that they stand with the LGBTQ community and do not support discriminative legislature. So in what ways can we challenge the term gay? Well, to clear things up, 
we need to know what definition of the term we're challenging, which in itself is a challenge. When it's used as an umbrella term, it may be well-liked because it's a simpler, faster way to refer to the LGBTQ community. On the contrary, if we refer to everyone in the LGBTQ community as gay, we're not only watering down the meaning by making it more generalized, but we're also erasing other identities like bisexuality or erasing gender identities entirely. So for now, we're going to be focusing on the term gay as meaning homosexual. The actor concept of being gay isn't new. There have always been people who are attracted to the same sex. The classification of being gay, however, is. It wasn't until the late 19th, early 20th century that there became a distinction between heterosexual and homosexual identities. In his book, The Invention of Heterosexuality, Jonathan Ned Katz writes about Dr. James G. Kiernan, who, in an article published in 1892, displays one of the earliest publications of the terms heterosexual and homosexual. In his article, he describes heterosexuals as sexual deviants, and instead of meaning attraction to a different sex, heterosexual had meant attraction to two different sexes. The term homosexual had been defined as a person whose mind was that of the opposite sex. Then, in 1893, a psychiatry professor, Richard von Kraft Ebbing, wrote a publication with the term hetero-sexual. Kraft Ebbing defined his heterosexual as the perverse attraction to the opposite sex, and homosexual as the perverse attraction to the same sex. A lot of this had to do with sexual deviancy, such as sex without conception, lewd practices, etc. But as the terms became more settled down and became more and more known, this divide between sexuality came to fruition around the turn of the century. This distinction, the separation of one from the other, is the basis of how society tends to view sexuality today. While the definition of heterosexual moved to define the so-called norm of sexual attraction, the definition of homosexual stayed just as deviant. For a long time, being gay was demonized and weaponized and made life really difficult for people. And in the distinction of sexual attractions and the creation of a sexual norm, it was much easier to ostracize a group of people that did not fit into that norm. It seems to be a running trend that the more labels and divisions we put on people, the more harmful it can be. Like we did with the term lesbian, we can break down gay and try to determine who is included in the label. If we say it's a man who loves a man, then we need to decide what defines a man. We get caught every time by the binary. And as a trans person, it's incredibly frustrating because so many of our older labels are based upon that binary. And even so, when you really look closely, I ask again, what defines a man? It's not the body, it's not the presentation. Is it the pronouns, the general feeling? Or is it only via self-identification that we define a man? And not only that, like I mentioned earlier when I quoted Wisnant, sexuality can be, and very often, is fluid. So by creating this divide between gay and straight, or any other identity, we are trying to dam a very powerful river. And the worst part is that when someone breaks the dam and their sexuality changes, instead of realizing that the dam makes things more difficult, society tends to just fill up the hole and ignore the possibility of a free-flowing river. In some ways, gay as an umbrella term almost does make fluidity easier, because if there's just one all-encompassing word, then there's less strict boundaries of what our preferences are, 
and it's easier to change your feelings without having to change your label. Or it might just be easier to not have any distinction at all. Like in the past, there wasn't a distinction between gay and straight. People just were. Now being gay was way more taboo back then. But now that gay rights have come so far, and the point has been made that gay and straight people are all still just people, it might be easier to just throw out the term. It makes sense, and I can see why the separation was placed. When there's a new unusual thing that people don't understand, if we put a name on it, then it can be defined and hopefully understood. But in defining everything, we lose touch of our innate humanness, of just being and loving without categorization. All right, joining me today is my wonderful partner, Mikey. Hello. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about being gay. So you personally have an interesting relationship with labels, correct? I, you know, I think they have some value, but when it comes to like person to person, I think labeling is a lot harder to do. I personally like don't really like labeling myself. They do have like some purpose in the grand scheme of things, but like we're always changing and evolving. And while you can change your labels, I, I find it easier just to not really label myself. I use gay because it's a broad term. Um, I also, mo I'm mostly attracted to men and masculine aligning people. So that's like why I also use that term. But besides that, I, don't like labeling myself. <laughs> I still like identify with gay, but at the end of the day, I, I'm gonna like who I like. You know, it it's it's just like the one of the simplest terms. You just say gay and people are like, oh okay, I know what that is. <laughs> yeah, that's that's absolutely fair. Like that's one of the things that I talked about earlier is how gay is like an umbrella term and it can be very helpful in some situations to use it as an umbrella term because it can be faster than just saying like LGBTQ or, you know, trying to get in all the letters or something. Like using gay generally has its like up and down sides. Yeah. Because it's like some people are like, yeah, I, I enjoy like the vagueness of it and that it's not like hyper specific. And then there's other people that are definitely more on the side of if you call everybody gay, then that's just invalidating everybody else. Yeah, and I, I get that. And people, you know, they they can do what they want. I don't, I'm not here to dictate like other, other people's labels. This is just for me. I'm just like, eh, I'm good. I'm good with the general non-specific term. It's also like easier when you're talking to people who are not LGBT plus because a lot of them don't know the more like specific terms um, that haven't become like super popular yet. So it's a lot easier to just be like, oh yeah, I'm gay or like I'm LGBT plus. I'm very nonchalant when it comes to like labels and like what other people think. Like I've, I say this a lot, like I, I do what I want. <laughs> yeah, you were kind of the embodiment of like what I kind of wish everybody could be or in the sense that like what I guess queer theory kind of wishes that people could be is that they just exist and are their identities without like having to define it. We kind of deny ourselves like the fluidity and I feel like that's also kind of what puts a lot of like straight people against the idea of like exploring their gender or exploring their sexuality because like we've kind of separated it into these categories like you're straight or you're gay like if you're not straight and cis then you're part of the lgbt community and it's like some people want to be a part of the lgbt community but at the same time like 
some people just want to exist and it's like they don't want to have to be lumped in with a whole group of people yeah like i i consider myself part of the community where i lie in that community is wherever like i feel like people are putting these restrictions on themselves like i i like when i first came out i feel like i did that a lot it was like all right i need to find like the perfect label i need to know i need to know all the terms and like this and that and like it's good to know all the terms but at the same time it's like if you don't want labels you don't have to use them you don't have to have labels you can just be and like you said like we restrict ourselves more with i like like sometimes with these labels that's the thing is like everyone experiences the labels differently like every little nuance like of your sexuality and identity like yeah it can be nice like when you're talking to like close friends or something and you want to like get like hyper specific and really like give them an idea of what's going on in your mind but like you don't have to give everybody that detailed information you don't owe anybody a label yeah exactly like you you can define or not define yourself however you want and I feel like people don't respect that as much um because part of human condition is like wanting to label everything and wanting to to be able to put everything into a category and like like I've said I get that to an extent but like when it comes down to it we're such complex like beings like you're never gonna have the right the right label you know in quotes no ex exactly like it can be broken down in so many different ways and like you're still never gonna get everything like people make the joke about like there's like seven thousand genders now and it's like i mean there's kind of there is and there yeah. also kind of always has been because like each person like experiences gender and each person experiences sexuality differently Try so like, like seven billion different genders like everyone's personal experiences are different and it's not it's not going to be the same throughout every single person we're not carbon copies of one another we are these vast universes trapped inside of meat suits yeah i mean that's such a great description though like we all have our own like personal experiences and it's like yes it's similar but it's such like a complex feeling like when we talk about like when people are like depressed and it's like yes you can relate to the understanding of being depressed but like not everybody has depression in the same way it's kind of like that where we all may like experience similar sexualities or like you know two people who identify as gay might both experience a very similar sexuality but it's like they are not the same thing like the way that somebody views their sexuality somebody experiences sexuality is going to be completely different based on any of their demographics so like what is your history with the term gay or like identifying as a gay person i am the kind of person that didn't really know growing up i was like gay and trans like it wasn't hidden from me and my parents weren't like against it or anything not like actively against it or anything they're just kind of like indifferent it's it wasn't like a part of our world and then when i was like 15 one of my friends came out to me as a trans girl and I like, you know, I was on Tumblr. I was, you know, I was online then. And so like, I knew the terms. I was down with it. I was like, yeah, I was like, I want to do more research to be a better ally for my friend. <laughs> and that led me down the rabbit hole of discovering I was non-binary. <laughs> 
being gay, I've always like, I've never had like people talk about this gay awakening. I was, you know, socialized as a girl who liked boys and I, I did like boys and masculine aligned people and I still do. So that's like, now that I'm masculine aligning, it's more fitting term it's like you kind of became gay like with your gender changing and your expression your sexuality label changed it's like my gender changed to fit my my sexuality more honestly though that's that's kind of how i was too i was like man like i like men and i've i've always liked men just something about like a relationship with a man but not as another masculine person just seemed like so weird like it it felt like so much more right to have like a relationship between a man and a man or like you know masculine people together versus like you know a heterosexual couple and then like eventually i realized i was like oh you can trans your gender yeah like i can do that and i can be a masculine gay person With your identity, like, did you ever feel like being, like, only non-binary, like, didn't make you gay enough or masculine enough to, like, identify as gay? Was there ever any, like, questioning in that? No, I don't think so, because I've always, like, leaned more towards the masculine side of things in some ways, and it's just, like, that's how I see myself. Like, I know, like, the outside world, <laughs> a lot of people are strict with labels. Some aren't, some are. But I I never felt, like, not gay enough to use the term gay. So how do you, like, see your identity, like, in comparison to, like, the world that we live in? I don't really perceive my identity in the world. I kind of just vibe i i don't really like think of my identity as a part of the world i see my identity as like just myself i kind of just have the thought of to to do what i want um because it's it's my life it's my choice it's how i identify so when it comes to the world i don't really care like you don't really care how people perceive you it's more about like how you view yourself people are gonna have their judgments people are gonna assume everything and anything about you the way people look at me and perceive me that's on them i have built myself up to to look and feel this way you know people can do whatever they want and i think that's like something like a lot of people forget like i just do what i want (laughs) no for sure like that's that's like one of the biggest things about like just labels in general is that like they can be so limiting it's so restricting everything is so restricting and it's just like it doesn't have to be you can just do what you want (laughs) yeah exactly it's like you know box after box after box after box and it's like okay well now you just have like a room full of boxes and you don't have any room to stand in it you're stuck then and it's square and it's ill-fitting it's not it's not you it's like an expectation it's it's a label and what people expect of that label so that's like another reason why i use terms broadly is because like labels have their place in the world but what we define to those labels is too restricting with labels we assign like a value to them and then like as we kind of have those values that are known people kind of put up their own expectations of said value like we all know you know what labels generally tend to mean it's like the added weight that gets put on to it and like the added expectations 
and how people think that one label should be, I feel like that's when it gets restrictive is when people only think about it in one way. Yeah, and we all we we just have these like tight conditions for one another and it's like why do we restrict ourselves so much? We we have all of these restrictions and like boundaries for ourselves. And it's like, why do we do this? How does this benefit us besides putting us in, in these boxes that we're trying to label? And it's like, we're, we're too complex for that. Like the complexity of how I experience my gender compared to how you experience your gender is something that we'll never like fully understand of one another. We can try to communicate it the best we can, but at the end of the day, like it, it's our own experience. Thank you so much for being on the show. It was really nice to have you. Yeah, thanks for thanks for the invite. You're welcome. So what do I think? I personally use gay as an umbrella term a lot. All of my closest friends are queer, so they understand what I mean when I use gay as an umbrella term. I first realized that I was a little bit gay when I was in high school and realized that I liked both women and men. I had only dated men prior to my transition, and after transitioning, I had only dated women. It wasn't until my current relationship that I was actually in a gay relationship. I tend to call myself gay a lot, as an umbrella term interchangeable with how a lot of folks use the word queer, but also in the sense of being homosexual, because while having gay thoughts and feelings, I had never been actually seen as gay, so it's validating in a way to use the term for myself. Being out and trans and being in a relationship, it's really nice to embrace that gay side of me that I felt like I missed out on in being raised female. And there is something about being trans and gay that just feels like I'm not quite gay enough, like in the way a cis gay man would be. And I think that has a lot to do with the social implications of how we view gay culture and masculinity. I think it's hard to feel like I'm the same type of gay as a cis man because we put such an emphasis on what a gay man is or what it means and that I feel that because I wasn't born a man, that I'm not gay enough. And that comes from this standardization of gay men. A lot of it is socialization, and it's partly biology. Like I talked about with the Mattachine Society, if the image that's being pushed of the standard gay man is a cis white man, that invalidates so many individuals who identify as gay. And I know that I'm part of the problem too. I know that I'm always trying to look at things intersectionally, and not to assume whiteness as the standard for everything. There are gay individuals from all different backgrounds and we should acknowledge and embrace the differences instead of upholding old stereotypes.